Hello everyone, and welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Movie Review Podcast. On this episode, I will be discussing and reviewing Season 1 of Star Trek Discovery. To read more of our reviews and listen to our podcasts, go to lcamoviereviews.com. This podcast does contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Listener discretion is advised. And now, here's your host for this episode, Mike Winkler. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lights, Camera, Action Movie Review Podcast. Mike Winkler here with you today. Um, I decided to do a solo podcast today to uh, do something a little different. Um, Our review website does focus on mainly movies and short films, but we're also going to be doing the occasional um, TV review and also uh, TV, TV show, TV miniseries, occasional podcast, and... Today, I wanted to take the time to to do a podcast on the first season of Star Trek Discovery. Um, I decided to do this because I have always been a big Trekkie uh, since I was since I was very little. Um, I grew up with uh, the Next Generation. Uh, some people will criticize, you know, uh, with the whole Picard versus Kirk thing, and I've always been more partial to uh, to Picard than Kirk. Um, the original series to me was dated. I also wasn't, wasn't born when, uh, when the original series was, was out. I was born in 1989. So the next generation was just coming out at that time. Um, and I really didn't get a chance to experience next generation until I was maybe five or six years old. And, um, by that time I already was seeing the, uh, the movies, uh, like Star Trek Generations. There's actually a funny story, um... Star Trek First Contact, uh, or as I like to call it, the Borg, the Borg one. That one came out in 1996. At that point, I was about ooh uh, seven years old. Um, I was huge into the the Picard crew, and I decided to to go see the uh, the movie. My mom and and grandfather took me to go see First Contact, and. It was not the greatest experience for me because the movie genuinely scared me. The Borg frightened me, and I actually had to leave the movie about a quarter of the way through. Uh, you know, and and it, that's always a funny story that, that that I always you know laugh about with my family or my grandfather and my mother. Uh, but you know, my, my love for Trek goes back very far, and I, I've seen everything from Next Gen to Voyager. Um, and all the films, I, I gained a, a greater appreciation for the the Kirk the Kirk crew really mainly through the movies. Um, never really was a big fan of Star Trek the Motion Picture. I thought the first film was relatively boring, and the story just wasn't all that interesting. And uh, Wrath of Khan, of course, is really where I gained a newfound respect for the Kirk crew because that movie was just phenomenal. The the, the Ricardo Montalban playing Khan is just one of the one of the perfect film villains you could ask for in a film. Um, his uh, his chemistry with Kirk and and how they butt heads back and forth and their history is just a fantastic just a fantastic film. And how each film kind of bridged into the uh, the mini trilogy, which is Star Trek: Wrath of Khan into Search for Spock. 
to The Voyage Home, I thought was a really cool way of tying all those three films together and creating a trilogy-like um, uh, like a trilogy-like series. Because The Final Frontier and The Undiscovered Country uh, at that point already separated themselves from each other, so there really wasn't any um, continuation with those films. It was really just Star Trek 2, 3, and 4 that were like a mini-trilogy. And uh, I loved that mini-trilogy so much, uh, with the story connecting from Wrath of Khan to Search for Spock to Voyage Home. Um, each film felt different, uh, but they also brought something uh, new to the table, while keeping things the same and keeping the stories connected to one another, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, my favorite uh, my favorite Kirk film, I believe, probably is... Uh, I, I'm a big fan of The Undiscovered Country, Star Trek VI. I love the uh, the storyline with the Klingons and the, and the feud between the Klingons and, the, and Starfleet. And uh, they're finally coming to peace, and Kirk uh, hates the Klingons because they killed his son back in Star Trek Three: Search for Spock. So that's kind of a tying end right there. But um, I just love the uh, the conflict in that film, and I love the Federation versus the Klingon and the whole peace treaty negotiations thing. I thought I found it to be really interesting. The story was compelling. So uh, that, that I believe is one of my favorites of the Kirk series. Uh, my favorite in the Picard series probably is either First Contact or, uh, or Generations. Um, that's mainly too because the, the, the villains are, are uh, strong in first contact. Um, but generations was really cool too, because it combined Kirk with, uh, with Picard and that. So I thought that was a really cool way to uh, mix the two together to carry the baton or to pass the baton from Kirk to Picard for the movie series. Um, what's actually really funny is, um, is, you know, Star Trek Discovery kind of brings me back from... Star Trek VI in a way, because Star Trek Discovery puts a lot of focus on the Klingons versus the Federation, but this is uh, years before before Kirk, so um, I think maybe that's why I found uh, Discovery really interesting, because it tied in one of my favorite Star Trek films with the Klingon Federation type thing. Um, so that's kind of my history of Trek. Uh, and what my appreciation for it is, I've always found the idea of the Federation fascinating, and I've always hoped one day that maybe down the line we would have a Federation of our own or a Starfleet. I probably won't be around to see that, unfortunately. But that's okay. One can dream, and I can just live through it through Star Trek until the day I die. So that's good enough for me. Um, so I was a huge fan of the the J.J. Abrams uh, Star Trek trilogy, although the last one was directed by Justin Lin, but... Um, I liked all three of those films. I thought they did a very great job of bringing Star Trek back after it kind of dwindled and died when uh, Nemesis came out in 2002 and then Enterprise ended in 2005, I believe. You know, so at that point we had gone four years without Trek and it seemed like Trek was dead. And it was kind of sad because we had gotten so used to, since 1987-88, to have a Star Trek series on TV every year, sometimes two at a time. And we were getting movies constantly. And it really, it really was disappointing because I, my love for Trek was, um, was gone. Well, not not gone for me personally, but all I could do at that point was enjoy Trek for what it was, um, through reruns and watching the movies over and over again. And I really thought we were never going to get Star Trek, you know, ever again. I thought we were done. But when Abrams finally announced doing the Star Trek film in, in two thousand nine. 
Uh, the movie was refreshing. It brought Trek back to a whole new audience. It felt young. It felt like it was appealing to more than th- to, to than just the Trekkie audience. So, um, later we got a couple sequels, and there were there were some rumors of a TV series possibly coming back to television. I know one of the early um, one of the early versions that I remember being pitched around, I believe, was a series that kind of revolved around the Prime Universe, the the universe that the the Abrams uh, movies were taking place in. But I don't think it ever really went any further than that. And talks kind of dwindled down and then never really heard anything. And then uh, finally, around the time that uh, Star Trek Beyond was being announced, we started hearing about this new series called Star Trek Discovery. Um, and that it wasn't going to really air on cable TV or network television. It was going to launch on CBS's all-new netflix streaming service, CBS All Access. I was a little nervous about this because the All Access service was going to be brand new. You know, what was going to be the budget of the series? How was it going to look? Was it going to look low budget or high budget? Um, and was the series going to take off with a limited uh, subscribing audience? Well, CBS did, in fact, air the pilot episode on TV before it launched onto the All Access service. So it gave people a chance to kind of see if they wanted to go in and subscribe and watch the rest of the uh, the first season. Um, I ended up uh, subscribing to the service and ended up watching the first half of the Discovery season, I think minus one episode. Um, you know, when the show first started, I thought it was interesting. I thought that the uh, the effects were, were top-notch. The series looked like a movie. It actually looked, looked comparable to the Abrams movies we've had in the years past. Um... The one thing that bothered me early on was is I, I felt like the show was taking a while to take off, um, that it started moving kind of slow. And I think maybe I felt this way now that I look back on it now because I I wasn't expecting exactly what we got. And that's not to say what we got was bad or mediocre. It just wasn't what I thought it would be. I thought it was going to be something more in the way of... Um, you know, Enterprise or something like that, but better effects, of course, and better production design. Um, so when the show first started, I didn't have a great appreciation for it. Matter of fact, I kept telling people that uh, Seth MacFarlane's The Orville was a better Star Trek series than Discovery was, and Orville's not even a Star Trek series, but that captures kind of the old Next Generation type feel. And even I was even saying that up until about a month ago. But then the last week, I, I I bought uh, the, the Star Trek Discovery Blu-ray first season, and I sat down and said, okay, I gotta go through the rest of the first season, season two is starting, I, I gotta see if, you know, I gain a newfound thing for this, and boy did I, not only did I gain a new appreciation for the series, but now I love it, I think that this show is really Trek at its best, the continuation from episode to episode to get us through this the first season is just fantastic. They bring you in with these cliffhanger endings like a normal series would do, but we're not used to that for Trek other than two parties that we've gotten with the other series. It just it engages you in the story and the characters where I thought at first were not overly Impre- not overly impressive, but they weren't being fleshed out enough that, you know, Michael Burnham was the only character that was being fleshed out. I mean, she is the lead of the series, but 
I felt like she was the only one being focused on, and I thought that was kind of a mistake. That doesn't happen as the first season goes on. We start getting development from the engineer Stamets, which is played brilliantly by Anthony Rapp. Anthony Rapp plays this part so well that in the, the latter half of the first season, when he is using the the spore drive. Now, for anybody that doesn't know what the spore drive is, the spore drive is being used to teleport or warp uh, the discovery from uh, different parts in the universe. And it starts having some effects on Stamets, and he's, he's having to be used to make the spore drive work. And it's affecting him physically, um, it's affecting his mind, and eventually it takes its toll on him by the end of the season. Um, I, I found his character and his storyline engaging, and by the time we get to the end of the first season, he actually ended up becoming one of my favorite characters because they're really starting to flesh him out and they're giving him a lot to do, and I'm hoping that continues in season two. Um, but uh, also characters like like um, Cadet Tilly, you know, she's being given more to do as well, and I think Mary Wiseman's playing her very well. You know, I, what I was concerned with in the very beginning was that these characters were not being fleshed out, like I said. And I am so glad that that changed um, as the season went on because these really are some really good characters. LaRue, uh, or Saru, not LaRue, sorry. Saru is a great addition to the Star Trek universe because, you know, he reminds me a little bit of Data from Next Gen. And um, except he's given a little bit more to do, and that's only because, you know, he has emotion where Data didn't have it until the emotion ship. But Saru, in the beginning, you never really know his intentions. He seems like he's he's good, like he's a friendly guy, but, you know, the way he treats Burnham in the beginning is understandable because of her betrayal to, uh, to Captain Giorgio, uh, also played brilliantly by uh, Michelle Yeoh. Uh, she, she is a great addition to the series as well, and I am glad that in the latter half of the season she comes back, but as an alternate um, Captain Giorgio. And not only is it a interesting twist, they bring the mirror universe into this, which I was astonished on how they did this. Because I remember when I wasn't watching the series while it was while, while it was on, and I remember seeing some uh, uh, stuff online about how they were in the mirror universe. I wasn't exactly sure how they were doing it because I wasn't looking into it. But boy, am I glad when I started watching and how they really flipped the script, especially with what they pulled off with uh, with Captain Lorca. The twist there, it blew my mind because I, at first, wasn't a huge fan of Captain Lorca, but as the season was going on, I was really starting to latch on him as a captain. I thought, okay, you know, maybe he can go in the ranks of, of some decent captains in the uh, in the whole scheme of the Star Trek universe. But then when they get to the Mirror Universe and when the, twi- the, the twist of him actually being a Mirror Universe Lorca, that he came from the, the Mirror Universe and he actually is bad and his whole intent here from the beginning was to get back there and take this crew there for his own uh, gain, that twist shocked me. I did not see that coming at all. Um, each twist throughout the series is just so well done, and you don't see them coming. I mean, even even the scene where um, the doctor, the doctor is dating Stamets, 
which this the, the, this now um the the new thing in in this Star Trek series is that it's bringing in the um some of the LGBT themes into um into the series and I'm okay with that you know what they're trying to expand their horizons they're trying to bring in that edge of the audience I have nothing against that you know um and it, it's the the connection or or the relationship between the doc uh, Stamets and the Doctor. Um, th- those two, um, in the beginning, you, you don't really get a sense of what, th- of what they are, or if they're a couple or what they really are. Um, it isn't until the back half where we start seeing that. But, um, what this is leading me to is, is that when the doctor gets killed, it, it's not something that I saw coming because it was one of those shocker moments that you don't, that you don't see coming. Uh, and, the, and the way it happens too, it, it's not, it's not something that's, some people will say when you watch a series, for instance, that you, you'll see events coming, you know, you see, oh yeah, I know how that's coming. It's, it's going to come down the line. I saw that coming three episodes, four episodes ago, whatever. This is nothing that like that at all. This just happens. Ash Tyler, who ends up having a relationship with, with Michael Burnham, which is, uh, Sinequa Martin Green's character. Um, the way they write his character with having the, the Klingon soul of, of, of Vok, um, I thought was cool because that is something that's never been done in a Star Trek series before. So it was something that was new that we, you know, we hadn't seen in a previous Star Trek series. So, when Ash, as Vok, kills um, the Doctor, Hugh, Hugh Culber, I'm going by names now, Dr. Hugh Culber, played by Wilson Cruz, the way he gets killed off, it just, he snaps his neck, and, and, it, and it just it just happens. And th- these are the kind of moments that, throughout, throughout the series, that really shocks me. But anyway, so I'm going to move on here. I'm going to get past this here. So as the series goes on and we get the twist in the mere universe, the way the series is structured is, is the continuation is the driving force between this series. And the beginning, the first half of the season really just focuses on the Klingon Federation War, which is something we had not seen a whole lot of in, in the previous Star Trek series. We've heard it referenced and so on and so forth. But it's not something we've really ever seen. So this is this is good to see. We're getting to see different things. I know people have criticized that the Klingons look different in the series, and that's the one thing that's kind of bothering me right now because they really haven't focused on why the Klingons look different yet, and I'm hoping they get into this because they look totally different from when they do later on. So I'm hoping the show will fix this. I've heard that they're going to, so we'll see what happens there. But um, as we get past that for a while, then we start getting into the spore drive storylines. And then we get to the spores. Then we're in the mere universe. And then they bring Captain George O back, uh, the alternate Captain George O. Um, how each event leads to each other is very brilliant. The show is very well written. The character development and the, and the performances by the whole cast are probably some of the best that I've seen in a Star Trek series and or movie. I mean... They all bring their A game. Sinequa Martin Green, you know, uh, I'm, I I watched her on Walking Dead for numerous seasons. Uh, she was really good on that show. I was bummed to see her get killed off of that. Um, 
But if it wasn't for the sake of that, she wouldn't be on Discovery, and I'm glad she's here because she really is a good lead for the series, and she plays it really well, and I am looking forward to seeing more of her here. Uh, Doug Jones is Saru. Uh, if, if you know Doug Jones' history, um, he has done a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff in makeup, mind you. Um, anything from, uh, he was Abe Sapien in Hellboy, uh, he played the Pale Man in Pan's Labyrinth, uh, he played the Silver Surfer in Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, uh, and he even played in the newest movie, the big, uh, the big Oscar winner, uh, The Shape of Water, playing the Amphibian Man. He is just brilliant behind this makeup. He brings something to the performance of Saru or any any character he does uh, behind the makeup, he brings a whole new a whole new set of of emotion, you know, to an alien being, and that's not always the easiest thing to do with makeup on. And he pulls it off, and he's the perfect perfect guy to play this part. I, I am I am very very impressed by him. The producers even went as far as to compare Saru to characters like Spock and Data, which makes a whole lot of sense, whole lot of sense. And he definitely has a good mixture of the two between Data and Spock. So very well done. Uh, Shazad Latif as Vox slash Ash Tyler. Um, when his character first got brought in, um, he seemed like he was nothing more than a love interest for Michael. And, uh, then things change and they change dramatically because in the latter half of the season, when we start finding out about his, uh, his torture by the Klingons and the relationship that he actually had with his Klingon capture or captor. The way they do this and the way he plays the part is is fantastic here because he steps it up to a whole new level. And the chemistry and the relationship that he has with Burnham is is very complex, but it's deep because it's the whole reason why he's able to keep the Klingon part inside that he that gets thrown inside of him it's hard to explain but he's able to keep it at bay for so long until he loses control but the reason why he is brought back to being ash tyler is because of burnham and um i was just really impressed with what they did with his character and i'm i'm hoping that they are bringing him back in season two i have not started season two yet so i'm hoping they bring him back and we get to see more of what he can bring to the whole klingon starfleet war um, I already went on about Anthony Rapp as Paul Stemitz, uh, the chief engineer aboard the USS Discovery. Uh, he, he's been a great part, um, just mainly because of the whole Spore storyline. And uh, I'm going to be really excited to see what's going to go on with him next. Now that the Spore Drive storyline's kind of wrapped up, I'm going to be very curious to see what they're going to do with Stamets next. Mary Wiseman, Sylvia Tilly, uh, she was a cadet in her final year of Starfleet Academy to start uh, Star. Uh, Discovery when she was assigned. Um, she probably has the biggest heart of the entire series because there's just something um, kind about her. Uh, there's something um, special about her that you're going to see come later. I, I know is coming. Um, showrunner Aaron Har uh, Harberts even described her as the soul of the entire show. And I can agree with that because as the whole se first season goes on, she really... I started latching onto her character. I started liking her character a lot. And they're starting to give her a lot more to do. So um, I know in season two she's been promoted. 
So I'll be curious to see what her new role on the Discovery is going to be. Uh, Jason Isaacs was brilliant as Gabriel Lorca. Um, like I said in the beginning, I really wasn't sure what to make up of him. Um, but Jason Isaacs even went, in, went as far as to describe his character as probably the more fucked up than any of the previous Star Trek captains. And that is true. Especially what the end result of him ends up being. He definitely is probably the fucked up of all the previous captains. I have to agree with that. Um, so his turn ends up being pretty shocking and, and I really enjoyed his character. Uh, so yeah. And then the big thing is too, is how the, how the season comes to an end. Their biggest thing they're trying to do here is they're trying to find a way how they're going to mix in it into continuity and how they're going to bring it into the whole universe of what we've already seen and done before. Um, and we know with season two, they brought in Anson Mount as Christopher Pike. I have yet to see it yet because I have not started season two, like I said, but I will be starting it this week. Um, the ending, bringing in the Enterprise, jumping out of warp in front of the Discovery, was so cool. Because we know that the series is about, from what, from what I've heard, uh... 10 years before Kirk? 10 years? Roughly 10 years before the events of the original series. Um, so it's kind of cool to see that. Uh, I know that they've brought in uh, Spock. And I don't know how I'm going to feel about that yet. Because I really, to be honest, would have liked to have seen Zachary Quinto return in the part. But I get it. Um, it makes me wonder if we're going to see Kirk Later on, I know they say this is roughly 10 years before, but that doesn't mean we won't see Kirk. So I'll be curious to see how that's going to go too as well. Um, but as a whole, uh, for my final verdict on this, um, Discovery is just such a good series. If you're a Trekkie, stick with it because you will love it. Um... Excuse the beginning starting off kind of slow because even the first two episodes, we don't see the Discovery till episode three. Uh, the first two episodes are mainly about Burnham, Michael Burnham being on the, uh, being on Michelle Yeoh's ship, you know, and, and that's why I was a little confused at the beginning how they were going to, how they were going to do this, but uh, stick with it because by about episode uh, seven or eight is where things really start taking off. And that's not to say that the episodes before it are bad or, or, or boring. No, that's not what I'm saying. Is is that the series takes its time to develop Burnham before it goes into developing the crew, which is something we have not seen in previous Star Trek series. So I think the reason why the beginning feels different is because it really is different. It's starting the series different than any other series before. So... Once you get to seven, episode 7 or 8, you'll start seeing development of the crew. The story really bridges out. The storylines get good, and it gets hard to stop watching. Um, as a whole, it's starting to fit into the whole scheme of the Star Trek universe very well. Um, I am finding myself very excited to continue in watching Season 2. I'm disappointed that I'm almost caught up now because I was binge-watching, and now I really can't do that. And this show really is a binge-worthy series. So watch the series. Seven or eight episodes in is where things really start getting going. You'll love it. 
If you're a Trekkie, you're going to love it. Even if you're not a Trekkie. Even if you're not a Trekkie. Watch it. Because this series might make you a Trekkie. And people will say, why do I want to be a Trekkie? It's a nerd. It's a geek thing. So what if it's a nerd or a geek thing? Since when is being a nerd or a geek a bad thing? Okay. Stuff like this is fun to watch. Being a Trekkie is fun. Being a Star Wars fan is fun. Okay? You make friends. You get to know people. You get to have conversations about this. It takes you out of everyday life. We live right now in a world where everything has become about politics. It shouldn't be like that. We fight all the time about our political sides, Democratic or Republican. We don't need to do this. Things like this make Democrats and Republicans come together. They have a mutual interest. They like this series. They can talk about it and not talk about politics. Let's, let's, let's do things like this to forget about our everyday life. And Star Trek Discovery does this. It takes you out of the, the real world. And we all need that. That's what going to the movies is for. That's what watching TV series is for. That's why I always have an open mind whenever I watch anything just about, because it takes your mind away from everything, just for a little bit, even if it's just for an hour, maybe two. It's worth it. And, and I, that's why I recommend this series, because this series is good. It's good television, and it really does, it, it belongs on cable or network TV along, along, along the lines of other TV series. It, it belongs there. But CBS All Access does the show justice. They're spending anywhere between 8 to $8.5 million an episode, and it shows. It's like every episode you're getting is like a new Star Trek movie, and I love it. So I recommend, please watch this show. The first season's really good, and season two looks like it's going to be just as good. So, thank you very much for joining me on this uh, on this limited small podcast. I just wanted to really explain Discovery and how good I thought it was, and I wanted to recommend it to all of our listeners and our followers on our site because it's something really worth watching whether you're a Trekkie or not. Um, our next podcast, uh, Jace Kabasik and me are deciding upon that. Uh, he should be back on the next podcast. Um, we're in the process right now of finding a, a film to do. Um, we're not too sure which one we're going to do yet. We're going to do something, I think, um, like a retro movie review, uh, something that's kind of like we do at Belco Experiment, do something like that. Um, our next big podcast and a new film will be, of course, Captain Marvel, which is coming out on March 8th. Uh, and then soon after that, of course, will be Avengers Endgame, which we're all excited for to see where that's going to take us, and I anticipate a very, very, very long podcast on that one because we went over two hours with Infinity War, so I anticipate much of the same with Endgame. So Kabasik and I are very excited. Um, like we said in our last podcast, we are in the process of filling out press forms for the Cleveland Film Festival, so we're hoping to bring some new reviews of films that we'll get to see first to let you know what we think is worth seeing when it comes out. We're very excited on this. Um, also be on the lookout for um, some short film reviews as well. Um, I've been in contact with numerous uh, PR and, and uh, press things verse, via email. And I'm working on getting uh, many other short films as well for us to review. Plus more films, whether it be direct-to-video or coming to theaters and so on and so forth. So uh, thank you for joining me on the Lights, Camera, Action movie review podcast. I'll see you on the next one. And... Check out our reviews at lcamoviereviews.com. Our site's now up. Read, enjoy, and listen. 
This is Mike Winkler signing off, and I'll see you on the next podcast.